The views and opinions expressed in the Hide and Seek podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views, positions, or opinions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Most of you know me from the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. Do you enjoy the Hide and Seek podcast? Would you like to show your support? Head over to Apple iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and follow us so you never miss an episode. You can interact with us as well as share your thoughts, ideas, and theories on this season's episodes by joining the Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. Hi, James. My name is Rich. I'm from California. I hope you get this. I've been having trouble with Anchor, but uh, I have one question. Actually, it's probably about 10 questions. Uh, Do you have more information about the neighborhood friend at the teenage boy's house that you mentioned in episode 8 at 1 hour 24 minutes? The questions I have is, it seems kind of funny that Brittany never talks to the boy. There's no connection there to the crash. How does the neighborhood friend know about the crash and the location? Uh, Because can't see the crash site it's blocked by buildings who's who's he looking for why did he leave the boy especially when there is an unknown person wandering around at least one unknown person wandering around that's kind of scary did he call 911 about the car when he got to the car did he search the car and did he find anything how did he know how to wait for the police how did he know that the police were coming Uh, Nothing in the police report about him, that there was someone there at the vehicle. If he is looking for someone like Brittany or whoever showed up at the boy's house, why does he hang around the car and not search for this person? And why would he assume that that person would return to the car? That's it. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack on that one. I think obviously the focus in... Richard's question is he's referring to the neighbor who sent her husband to go check on the young kid who had seen Brittany approaching the house and the neighbor when you know I've talked to the mom and that's who I've only spoken to about this incident but when I was talking to the mom of this young kid she had requested that this man come down and check on he which he does and he eventually he goes inside the house the kids okay they even walk around the outside of the property and even look through the woods which is right next to them pasture wooded area they look through there there was nothing there and i think at this point in time the male that was there to to, to make sure nothing was going on decided to he didn't he doesn't return home he actually continues down fawn river which would be the opposite direction where he came from because as I understand, I think he's now kind of just surveying the area, trying to see if there's a girl walking. And uh, as he heads towards the actual act, the site of the accident, he sees the car. And I think that's when he arrives, kind of inspects the scene and kind of notices that there's this car that's just sitting here. I don't really know the condition of the car. I mean, I would love to know if the lights are on, doors are open, windows. Uh, we don't get any of that information. But I did get a text from the kid's mom who told me uh, there's a message from the wife 
and she says that her husband found the car and that he does end up calling the police. And so when they call the police, the police are on their way. He, he decides to stay at the vehicle until police arrive. And then that's when he leaves. And again, I think the, the mindset of this male is just, obviously this is not your every night type of encounter with a female who's approaching the house, knocking on the back door, front door. He's just patrolling the area. Great question, Rich. Appreciate it. What if the person that Brittany was referring to as being in a relationship for two years with a narcissist was Ashley? I obviously, I, I think it's been, it's, it's well known that Ashley and Brittany started their relationship as, you know, as friends in 2018, summer of around the summertime of 2018. And so I don't think that it's possible for that reference to be about Ashley. We have a question from the discussion group from Sabrina Wilt. I have a question, but I'm pretty sure you won't be able to answer it, but I'll throw it out anyway. When Pocket is telling his story, he mentions that he has picked up Brittany from grandma's house. He also says he wasn't alone. He also says he, when being suspected of hooking up with Brittany, when he picked her up, that he had good reason not to. I want to know what that good reason is and who else, aside from Eric, was with him on these pickups who also knows where grandma lives. I think the, the, when, he, when Pocket says he had good reason, um, there's an interview that we will get to in a future episode that, that could possibly explain that. I, I, was, I was obviously very curious of that too because he's obviously referencing something that is stuck in his mind as to why he had good reason as to not hooking up with Brittany. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll get to that. In, in reference to who the other individual was with Pocket when he picked up Brittany at Grandma's, I was told it was Eric that was with him. And that one time he had gone, the one time he had gone to get Brittany, um, he was alone. But the, the other time, I believe it was just with Eric, is what I was told from Pocket. That, that was how I understood it as well. Um, another message, another question from a group member, Christina Gifford Myers asks, do you believe there's any connection with the murder of the young woman from Elkhart? So I think Christina here is talking about Kim Dyer. Um, she says, not sure who was telling the story, but talked about burning her and stuff about a basement. Okay, so there, I'm aware of this case and I'm aware of the details of what took place and who was involved. And there's an individual that gets brought up at a later time in my investigation. We did look into it. Personally, I don't think it has anything to do with Brittany's case, but the door is not closed. But just for everything I've, I found and everything I've seen, it didn't have anything to do with Brittany's case. Next up, we have a question, uh, two questions that actually um, we're, we've kind of merged together because they're pretty similar. So from Sarah Leff and Deanna Britt, how do cases get picked? And what about this case was the deciding factor in choosing it for the season? And is there anything you've experienced during this particular investigation that will influence how you choose the next case? Um, there is a process in how I decide which case is best for me. And I think where I'd like to start out at is trying to figure out if this case is best suited for me with the ability that I have. Right. And so 
you know, I, I try to, you know, focus on smaller town missing individuals when it comes to these missing person cases. I, I've always felt like with smaller towns and in these type of scenes that usually it gets out somehow or some way, and there's less random crime of opportunity that usually takes place in these smaller towns. With Brittany's case, you know, we looked at quite a few. And for some reason, you said you were like, I feel like you're going to pick this one out of all the ones that we had gone through. I did. I think, you know, just her being a single mother in the, in the environment that she was in and knowing, you know, as we investigated these cases, look into the backgrounds of them as we, you know, we were going through which ones we, we wanted to look into. There was actually very little information on Brittany's case. So a lot of the information that we've discovered was I had no idea the amount of information I was about to receive. But Brittany also being a mother, and that really kind of pulls on my heartstrings a little. I think something also that came came up when we were discussing Brittany's case was that it her story is is not a story that was likely to be picked up by any um, you know big media outlets or or anything like that. So she was unlikely to get the attention that she deserved. And I think, you know, I remember having a conversation with you about, about that. And I think that, um, kind of influenced the decision to, to take on this case. Yeah. And as far as, you know, has this investigation had any influence on what I look at next? I'd like to say yes to that question, but again, I didn't know what I was walking into. So you think that one investigation is going to go one way and then you quickly find out this, you got a totally different story that you're dealing with. Um, so I've learned how to deal with certain individuals that I've dealt with in this case that I didn't deal with before. Great questions, Sarah and Deanna. Thank you. Hi guys. I'm wondering if the police have used a geo warrant. I'm thinking specifically in relation to the time of Brittany's accident and location, and also for the time and location when Brittany was at her grandmother's house doing laundry. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work. A geo warrant for people who, who don't understand what this is, a geo warrant basically blocks out a certain area and gives us the ability to see the mobile devices in the area that are active at a specific time. So let's say we did this for Brittany's case or law enforcement would seek a, a geo warrant for say, you know, one mile radius or, you know, whatever the radius is from say 8 PM to 10 PM on the night that Brittany disappears. And we would see the, active mobile devices that are in this area. And to my knowledge, I, I don't think that has, has been done. Great question. Hi, James. My name is Grace. I live in South Carolina. I know this might be far out there, but I was wondering if anybody has looked into the possibility of there being a second vehicle that night. Um, just the way the car accident sounds like it happened, it sounds like there's a possibility of her being run off the road. Either somebody coming after her or somebody coming after the guy. And 
With that, if somebody was coming after the guy, maybe that was part of the reason for the argument. Maybe he was feeling like, hey, we need to get out of here. I need to go back to my house. It's not safe for me to be out. Just a thought. Thank you for the podcast. You guys are doing great. Bye. That's a that's a great question, Grace, because that's obviously um, something that we've talked about a lot. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that the car ran the car that this car ran ran them off the road. Obviously, the question I've always wanted to know is how did this male and Brittany leave Fawn River Road? And so I think that there was definitely, in my opinion, a second car that night. Um, as far as them wanting to leave Grandma's house and and you know another car being involved in, in almost running you know running them off the road and this male wanting to leave because he needed to get home as you said could that have explained why this male was in a rush to wanting to get out of Grandma's house possibly I think that a second car was involved but not for the means of running Brittany off the road you know if they if she was running off the road. I think that they would have been able to just flip the car, you know, turn the car around and, and chase her down the road. You know, it's it's country, you know, flat land out there. And again, the, the corn and the crops have been cut. Again, I don't I don't necessarily think that there was a second car to run them off the road, but I think there was a second car to help assist. That's a great question because a lot of people have asked that question. So I'm glad that we're able to address it so more people can can hear the the answer to that. Hi, this is Christy from Seattle, Washington. I have a question about the night that Brittany went missing. I know that she, it was reported that she was bleeding because she didn't have any shoes on. So my first part of the question is, did anyone follow the blood trail or any, you know, signs of blood as she walked through the neighborhood or from house to house? And then second is about Sheldon's car that Brittany was driving the night she disappeared. And I'm wondering if the car has been processed by the police for fingerprints or DNA or anything that might give them an idea of who might have been in the car with Brittany. Thank you. Bye. So to answer your first question in in regards to the blood and them looking and trying to follow that trail, um, I haven't seen that. That was a question I had as well. Was you know when they went back to John's, did they observe where she was standing at? Did they, you know, was there any drops of blood? Um, I haven't seen any information that would say that they did follow that trail. I do know that dogs were used in that area to assist in trying to find Brittany, but I didn't see any additional investigation or them following up with the blood and, and trying to follow and see where she went. I, I haven't seen any evidence of that either. I don't, and and I don't know if if the the bleeding from her feet or arms was enough to produce droplets of blood. You know, are they scratches? Is it you know enough blood to produce droplets? I don't I don't know. I haven't seen any evidence that either way. But that was a great question because we both have have talked about that because of John. You know, could recognize that the bleeding is on her, you know, that her feet had been bleeding and in her arms, you know, like you'd said, how severe are we talking about here? You know, is it's obviously showing blood, but not enough. It doesn't sound like for them to take notice of it because now that we have the case file, we can see the response time. We can see when law enforcement was at John's house and 
Again, we're also thinking how many days later was that they filed, you know, that they reported Brittany missing. Mm -hmm. So that's from the 30th to the 8th with, you know, as little blood as there may have been. I don't know if there was enough there. In regards to Sheldon's car being tested or taken in, I've never heard of them doing any kind of fingerprint on Sheldon's vehicle. Again, when the vehicle is impounded on the 30th, Sheldon gets it out, but it's not till the following following week on Thursday. That's his way of you know transportation to work. He got the vehicle back out. Brittany hasn't been reported missing yet, and that's not until the 8th. And so I haven't seen them doing any kind of latent prints, and I know that they didn't take it in for testing. Moving on to a question from a discussion group member, Charity Morgan asks... Is it possible to interview the boy from the other house she was seen at after the accident? I feel like the details are fuzzy surrounding this part of the investigation. This is her first question. The young boy and I haven't spoken. And as I understand it, this was a pretty traumatic, scary incident for him. Being as, you know, being 15 years old, being that you're home alone and the way the scene unfolds. It, it, it was scary to him. And so, and it still kind of obviously follows him today and he doesn't want to be involved, which I totally understand. But what I'll tell you is now that I've gotten the testimony firsthand with the case file and I can see now what he had said during his interview, I'm excited to share that with you guys because that kind of really changes a few things in my initial suspicion or as I was trying to put the pieces together once I read that in the case file I found that was it was very interesting so you'll understand soon as we dive into the case file in future episodes Charity has a second question have you guys thought about a follow-up interview with Ashley to try and clear the air of some possible or maybe not so possible misconceptions regarding her motives or is she not cooperating with hide and seek now because of the bad taste her name is leaving in people's mouths well i have and for you guys to remember um when i started this show and i think this is something that a lot of people are still trying to understand i guess is how the episodes are are told right the timeline of them i'm taking you guys back to july of 2021 and I'm kind of telling you as I as I was going through my investigation um, I'm telling you how it was going what I was finding so there are times where I discover something maybe in August September that possibly I get more clarity on in the following year if I were to go back and change everything that I discovered months ago that I'm now telling you that I'm now discovering now I would be editing every episode just about every single time. So I'm telling you guys what I know and as I go through it. So Ashley and I, you guys are hearing about our relationship, or you guys are hearing about my investigation and you guys aren't up until the current time yet. We're not caught up yet. And there are gonna be future interviews with Ashley that you guys will hear from. I, yeah, I think, um, you know, patience is a virtue and it's, you know, it's hard to, to wait, but it does, it does follow the timeline of the investigation. So I know that's hard for, for people to understand, like when I'm telling a yeah. story and then other people are coming out with stuff that's, that we haven't quite covered yet. Mm-hmm. And again, that there's a strategy to this. Mm-hmm. 
And I think sometimes those people sometimes forget that and that strategy and I've seen the strategy work and I, I've been witness to it myself. There's a person out there who's responsible. And if I gave you guys the entire story or my investigation all at once, what if I didn't talk to the person responsible at all? That would leave some confidence in them, right? Feeling like he's not even looking my direction. It's almost like cat and mouse a little bit. And when that, when you get closer, as you can tell, people act funny. So we have a question from Elizabeth Gregory and a similar question from Rebecca Murray. How the heck do you guys deal with the constant complaining, even on a post like this? How do you not let it get to you in your regular everyday life? This case is pretty heavy. I don't know how you all balance the crazy, the complaining and the lying. And Rebecca's part of this question is, is similar. She asks, how do you protect your mental health? I love this podcast. It's by far the best in my opinion. But as a nurse, after a tough day, I tend to take patients and their issues home with me. How do you keep from letting this take over your life since you spend so much time in it? This is obviously your first experience diving into an investigation that, you know, with the podcast and you're dealing with, like she says, you know, feelings, attitude, you, we deal with lies, we deal with complaints, we deal with just about everything under the sun. How's it been like for you? Well, um, I can say that this is not easy. It is not what I expected. It is difficult. And like Rebecca says, there is, there are many days where it's difficult to leave your work at work and your, you know, separate your everyday life. It's, it is something I think for both of us, we go to bed with, we wake up with, this is always there. And I, for me personally, I, in those times where I think this is really rough. Um, it's rough to hear some of the the things that people say and the names that they call you. And that's rough sometimes. But for me, I think, you know, it it's certainly not as rough as what Greg, Jessica, Emily, uh, Victor, her her siblings, you know, it's it's nothing compared to what her family is going through. So that really kind of balances me. And, you know, this is a labor of love for me. I do this because I believe in what we're doing as a team and I believe in justice for Brittany. So I always keep that in the back of my head and that's really kind of how I deal with things. To answer that question and in, in how do I deal with the constant complaining, I... I learned over the course of my first and second season, and I, I feel like I'm just getting better every season with just understanding that you're not going to make everybody happy. And the more you focus on trying to please everyone, it's just, it, it's like never ending. You're never going to put out all the fires and you're never going to please everybody. And that's just what I expect. People want to listen to what I do. People want to support what I do. Give it a listen, subscribe. Don't like it. Fast forward. I definitely need you guys as listeners to to listen to what I do in order for me to do what I do. 
obviously when we started working together, I was obviously concerned for you with the complaining. And, and I know that you like to address questions. And you like to set the record straight and it happens. People complain. You're not going to please everyone. As far as the it falling and flowing into my everyday life, I, I think it's impossible for, for me to think that it's not going to. When I tell a family that I'm going to give them my everything, it's hard for it not to impact my mood and, or impact the stress levels that I deal with. Because you are dealing with people who are constantly complaining, lying, or manipulating a story while you're just trying to do, I'm trying to do something good for a family. And so when you constantly are getting that pushback, it's hard to not that not impact your day-to-day -day life. But I love this. I love doing this. Like there, there have been a couple times where there are times where I didn't go to bed. I stayed up all night, got the job, got the job done, and I was ready to go for another one. A couple, a couple times, James. <laughs> a couple, yeah. <laughs> so I, but I, I love doing this, and I love the relationships that I create and that I establish with these family members and their friends. It's all worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's all worth it. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that's something I should have mentioned is that through this, you know, through Brittany's disappearance, you know, she may not be here. She may not, you know, ever know what she has, has, uh, you know, left behind, but there is something in her disappearance and there, you know, for lack of a better term, it's been kind of like a legacy that she has left behind and she has, brought all of these people together that would otherwise not have had the opportunity to meet. And that's one thing I can say that I've really appreciated about this. And that's the opportunity to create some relationships with people that I would have never met otherwise, if it was not for Brittany's case. So I, I want to mention that and, and acknowledge that. As far as how, you know, how do we keep this from taking over our life and, how much time we spend in this i this takes up yeah every day we spend hours and hours going through every line going through every sentence going through every detail of the case and following up with interviews and listening to interviews it takes a lot of time and every you know every sentence that we read or everything that we every rock we flip over we're one step closer to finding britney and i think that's also something i wanted to point out is with you it requires somebody who's willing to sit and listen and go through every detail of the case that I needed to see that from you to trust you. So I appreciate that because there is a lot of time spent here and we don't really have a life and the clock's on, you know, the clock's ticking and we're working around the clock. So I think that's something I want to point out is we do spend a lot of time investigating, crossing our T's, dotting our I's. So kudos to you for jumping on this bandwagon i don't know if you're going to do it again but i hope so well i appreciate being able to have the opportunity to jump on the bandwagon hi um long time listener i've listened to all three of the seasons and and love it so far but as i was listening to episode eight i started to wonder if you thought maybe so this is kind of two questions if one, maybe Brittany didn't contact Ashley because 
of the person Brittany was with. Maybe they had some sort of issue or she didn't want Ashley to know she was with this guy, something like that. And then my second question is, have we thought about whether or not both Brittany and the mystery guy were taken together, that perhaps they were both running from something? Hey, Jeanette. So in regards to Brittany not going or contacting Ashley on the 30th because maybe she had somebody that was with her that maybe Ashley and this individual didn't see eye to eye or for whatever reason, Brittany didn't want to take this individual by Ashley's. Um, I, I, I think it's actually quite the opposite. I think Ashley's made it known that Brittany has supposedly said to her, don't tell Eric that she's there. And Eric saying the same thing to Ashley on the same day. If there was anybody Ashley wouldn't have liked to see Brittany with, I would imagine it would probably probably would have been Pocket. Knowing Pocket was in jail and it got picked up on the 29th, that's the only individual I can think of that maybe Ashley would be like, why are you showing up with him? But again, Pocket was, was already in jail. In regards to... Uh, maybe the male that was with Brittany that that night has also gone missing. We've we've looked at that timeline of uh, individuals who went missing in that area. I haven't seen anybody that would fit the description or a male who also disappeared on the thirtieth in that area. And I've I've actually looked pretty extensively um, in that area and the surrounding areas, and I have seen no evidence of such. Well, hell, I don't know if that's that because I have no service. But my question is, um, do you think the case is going to break? Do you think you're any closer to finding out what happened to Brittany or where she is? And did you have any specific cooperation or pushback from law enforcement? My other question is, um, being a fellow insurance producer myself, do you still work in insurance? What licenses did you hold? Did you like property, casualties, securities, life? Were you able? Are you able to still work and do the podcast? What's it like, you know, wearing those hats, being a, a jack of many trades and whatnot? Obviously, the investigation part of this journey has been completed thus far. Do you feel like you're any closer to finding out what happened to Brittany? Do you feel like law enforcement is any closer? Follow up to the law enforcement thing. Did you have any? specific pushback or cooperation from law enforcement. Okay. So in regards to law enforcement and pushback and what was their role in all this, I had reached out to, to St. Joe County back in August when I originally had traveled to Sturgis for the first time. And um, the response I got, is what I anticipated. And there was, they obviously were, they, they kind of didn't know what I was about or what I, what I was going to do. So they were like, Hey, we're thanks, but you know, no thanks type of thing. And I understand, you know, I'm some podcaster who's coming asking them for their support and um, you know, case file. Of course I didn't anticipate much traction there. Now I did ask, you know, if they did, if they, I, I did provide the detectives, contact information over here in Washington state who I'd worked with in their County. I'd worked with their County twice now. Now I didn't work for them. I work with them. I just want to be clear about that. And so as the season progressed and I started releasing episodes and I started releasing information, 
that's when I think they may have realized that maybe there could be some good that comes from what I do. And so then contact was made and you guys will know more about that and then how that worked out. In regards to the insurance question, I do not sell insurance anymore. I decided um, my heart wasn't there, honestly. I, it was hard after I started my first season to go back to selling insurance. And um, I made that decision to leave the insurance as a career and pursue podcasting full time. And there's been some discussion and people have sent me stuff and they have sent me stuff that they think it's tied to the podcast when it's an insurance entity. And I, I've, I've been, I've been sent multiple images about how, when they've looked me up, apparently they think that my podcast isn't real because my insurance entity is no longer a business that I have running in, in, in since I retired. So I don't sell insurance anymore. I don't think, I think my two years is up after I think we're supposed to renew our, or we're supposed to do our continuing education every X amount of years. And I'm, I've let the license go. I'm, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do this for my, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to create other shows too, but I love this approach and I love diving into true crime and I love this platform. We can do a lot of things with it. I just think that there's also a great opportunity for podcasters to work with law enforcement in a way that doesn't jeopardize the integrity of their investigation. So we have our next question from a discussion group member named Tamaria. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Williams. I'm super interested in the case file when you guys go over it. I know you don't want to spoil upcoming events, but can you touch on whether you feel the law enforcement investigations are flawed? That's the first part of our question. The second part, uh, can you tell us how many more episodes to expect? I'm sure you have a ton of people left from interviews. It seems the field of players increases by the week. I know grandma's dead set on the fact that it was Sheldon that was there that day, but has anyone shown pictures of all of the other suggested suspects to her or the uncle, grandpa, or nephews to see if they can ID someone? That's a great question. Um, in, in re so about the case file, we're still unpacking that. Uh, it's a large case file and there's a story behind it that, that it's for another day, another time, but we're still going over that and reading new material as we're progressing. And, and again, remember you guys are, as far as the timeline goes, like you guys are about to approach February of 2022. And so we just received the case file last month or how long We ago? received it about 26 days ago, I think. Okay. Thank you, Sarah, for the details. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So we're still unpacking that and there's a lot there and we want to be thorough. We're organizing it. As far as do I think that the law enforcement's investigations are flawed? Absolutely not. I'm not going to say that, that their investigations were flawed at all. Um, what I will say though, is that there was opportunity there to have someone who's willing to spend every day going through it and following testimonies, following up with leads, following up with rumors, cross-referencing them with, you know, this individual and seeing if this individual said this, you know, there's so, there's, there's so much there that I think there, there was a lot of opportunity on the table for someone such as myself and Sarah to spend the hours. Because again, remember, these guys are working multiple cases at one time. 
And so it's allowed us to be able to us or us them allowing us to be able to spend the time, I think is going to open up a lot of doors or at least opportunities for law enforcement to have someone come in with print and say, Hey, here's the entire organized, you know, approach on what we see, what we feel and what we're hearing. We're working on something like that to present to law enforcement. And then as far as, can I tell you how many episodes there are, how many episodes, episodes to expect? I never know when I start the season, how many episodes there are going to be. Um, I go as, you know, as long as I feel until, you know, I feel like I've exhausted all the leads and, and I've looked into every direction and I've kind of come to my own conclusion as to where I feel my investigation has taken me where that is. I don't know. It could be knocking on someone's door to confess to the murder. It can be, you know, knocking on a drug dealer's. I don't know. I don't know when that day comes and I feel like I've done the best I could. I will stop. I feel like if I were to put a timeline to it or put an episode date on it, then it would almost be like the clock. That's, that's all you have for your investigation. And again, if this is a cat and mouse game, I don't want to end this until I feel like I know what happened. And if I don't talk to the person at all and I release everything at once, or I have a number on how many episodes I want to release, then I, I would be almost, I guess, limiting myself. I think it would be doing a disservice to, you know, Brittany, her family, to to put a number on it or to set a date or. And that's again, that's why I pushed it out. I pushed it out because I was, I knew like I, I, after doing this for two different seasons, I was like, okay, I think I have an idea on how long this is going to be. But then once I started interviewing and unpacking stuff and started realizing like, holy smokes, I'm not ready. And so that's why I kept pushing the episodes and yeah, we're not done. As far as grandma being dead set on, on Sheldon and, and again, I, I know that that medium experience for grandma was significant for her and it was um, something that really touched her. And I know that, that grandma was shown pictures of certain individuals. I know that the boys were also shown a picture of certain individuals. I don't want to dive too much into who said what. I think the case file, the reason why I don't want to is, is because of what's in the case file. And you guys will understand that, but I just, I don't want to go into who this individual ID and who this individual ID, just because I think that's why this case is so messy. Unfortunately is, um, you have a family here who are all giving their own perspective of memory of what they recall from that evening. And you have two younger children and then you have, you know, grandpa, grandma and uncle Scott, and they're telling you what they remember. And I, I think like you had said before, when we talked about this in the last, I think we had a discussion about this Sarah, but people's recollection and memory of things isn't as always as accurate as we think they are. Yeah. I think that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Our next question comes from Ann Townsend. And Ann would like to know, what do you know about the mystery man that was at Brittany's grandmother's house the night she was last seen? Thank you so much. You know, we all adore you and can't wait to get closer to the end so we can find out more and more. Hey, Ann. So what I know about the mystery man at grandmother's house He was a younger white male. As far as his clothing, what he was wearing, what the boys' testimony, what grandma's testimony, 
was about what he was wearing. I, I feel more inclined to think that he is wearing somewhat, probably more of a winter heavier jacket or coat or sweater. Just because, again, the weather conditions outside, um, him being outside, I know he probably wasn't some tall man and, and he was more of a, I guess, stockier build. Uh, but I still wrestle with that because what if this the jackets that's that's giving the appearance of that, you know, hair, you know, his facial hair, his his hairline, the type of hair, how long, you know, I think that's still a lot of up for up for debate still because again, Grandma gives her testimony of him having mutton chops, and then the boys don't really recall the mutton chop look, but more of like a thin side, you know, sideburn. I don't want to try to add or influence you guys into thinking that this is who it needs to be. I'm just going off of what grandma and grand, you know, grandma told me what the boys told me and then kind of coming to my own conclusion, just like you would, if someone were to ask you, you know, who do you think that was? You're going to go with what seems to be most reasonable in that situation. Him having the tracksuit doesn't really seem to fit. Is it possible? Absolutely. The boys say the guy had on more of a bigger jacket, and that's what I seem to. That's what I feel like would fit, especially if you take the people there and and the people with the jobs that that, that they have and, and the type of jackets that they, that they would normally wear fit. You know, this isn't in some big suburban city or or metropolitan city, and even then, a tracksuit out there doesn't really seem to fit the the scene. Again, is it possible? Yes. Okay. Next, we have. A question from an anonymous listener. Hello, you wonderful people. Is there any way we could ask Glide how he would describe what Eric S. looked like at the time of when he mentions to Ashley that Brittany is missing to try and see if it matches the description of the man at Grandma's? Thank you again for all your wonderful work you guys have done. You've brought a lot of this case into the light and seems to have these people shaking in their shoes. It's a great question, but I already know what Eric looked like in November of 2018, thanks to Ashley, because Ashley had some pictures that she had sent to me, and I also have a video recording that was also sent to me, not by Ashley, but of Eric and JJ getting pulled over, and I could see what Eric looks like, I could see his hairstyle, I could see his facial hair, I so I know what Eric looks like. Next, we have a question from Katie Crane and Cadence West. They ask similar questions. In the last episode, it's mentioned that Zach was offered to join the cartel operation. If he and Ashley were running similar operations around the same time, is it possible that she too was given this offer? And could this be related to her involvement, whatever that may be? So... In my opinion, whatever dealings Ashley Marie and Zach were dealing, whatever whoever they were working with or tied with, in regards to selling, I never saw Brittany ever get involved in that. Brittany was struggling on on you know stop you know to stop doing the dough, and, and that she was obviously getting it from Ashley. Brittany being is Brittany some sort of player that the cartel would approach her as far as I understand it Brittany is not the type of individual that the cartel was would be interested in doing business with I mean Brittany was going to a job interview dropping off applications the week that the week of the 30th her mindset and where she wanted to go was different you know I I know I've read the emails between 
Brittany and, the, and uh, Zach when she was J-paying him and what plans that they had and what she was trying to do. Brittany wasn't a, a dope dealer. She was somebody who purchased, but she wasn't somebody that the cartel would have been interested in. I mean, we see evidence of her really working her butt off a lot of the time, you know, working 26, 25 hours in two days. So I would agree. Uh, Cadence West also asks, uh, how much work did the police do to find Brit? And back in episode three, the voice recording with Ashley saying, I can play the, oh, my friend went missing and cry at the drop of a dime. Why would she cry if the cops were there or not? Ashley deleted her chats with Brit after she goes missing, right? And why isn't she giving more than just screenshots of her and Brit's chat? How much work did the police do to find Brit? There was a lot of work done. I definitely, like I said, there's opportunity on the table for us to spend the time to go over everything, but there was an extensive amount of work that was done. And I do look forward to sharing that with you guys. In regards to Ashley saying that she can play the, oh my God, where's my friend card? Because she can, you know, cry at a drop of a dime because her in pocket is what she told me. Uh, Or what she says is, you know, her pocket's got her all fucked up. So if she needs to cry, she can. Why would she cry if the cops were there or not? I asked her that question. She doesn't know. And when I, when I asked the question, she didn't, she kind of focused on where there was not necessarily the fact that you're fake crying. And when I, I think I pressed her on it, she says, because she was trying to find out where her friend was at. I don't know many stories like that, that I, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Why the hell would you need to fake cry to any, in front of any cop? Period. Why do you need to, to portray yourself as somebody who's there for other reasons to law enforcement because you want to get into her, her accounts? That move doesn't make sense to me. You got the passwords, but yet from the Facebook activity that you sent me, it shows that you didn't log in until July 7th, 8th, or 9th, but you had them back on December 8th. Why, why, why wait that long? Or did you? And as for Ashley's conversations with Brittany, I don't want to say Ashley deleted her conversation history with Brittany. It, what I can say is I haven't been sent them. Does Ashley still have them? Does Ashley have her entire history between her and Brittany's conversation? Possibly. What I do know is that you sent me screenshots, so I know that the conversation exists, but what you had sent me from Brittany's account, the Facebook profile that you sent, that didn't have your guys' conversation history in it. So it's not on Brittany's end. We're only getting screenshots. And that's that's the most, honestly, that's probably the most frustrating thing that I deal with, that I've dealt with, is when I get screenshots without the full conversation history, and people want me just to bank on the fact that you're cropping out things on purpose, that's like sign number one. It's obvious you don't want me to see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And and it's really, you know, you can't comment on something or make a fair assessment if you don't have all the context. Right. You want your, but, but yet, full transparency, right? We hope.
This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere Thursday at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Next, we have a question from Tina Went Helbling. There are always bad cops, and I'm wondering who else thinks that Ashley's uncle is covering stuff. Okay. So... To answer the question about Ashley's uncle, there seems to be a little bit of uh, a misunderstanding here because I was told from a very reliable source as to what the real dynamics of their relationship is. And so when Ashley says her uncle, she refers to him as her as her uncle, but Brad Balk is, is and this is what the source says brad balk is no way related to ashley at at one time brad's cousin was married to a relative to ashley's they got divorced so there's no family dynamic there's like no bloodline there there's no reason for her to consider him as her uncle and they weren't even close at that time either sarah michelle asks i have a hard time understanding the timeline between when interviews are conducted and real time. It must take so long to process all of the information and put together the episodes. So how long is it typically between an interview and when the listeners hear the information? I've heard you say that you release episodes and information in a suite in a sequence, so it will make sense to the listener. But let's say for instance, you found out something that could solve the case three months ago and shared it with police. Will you give an update in real time if someone is charged with a crime or do we listen to the end of the podcast to find out for those of us that are not in the same county or region another example would be let's say a key person is arrested tomorrow and local listeners find out news spreads fast on social media so will you give real-time updates if this happens okay so to answer your question sarah when I started my investigation, and, and this is different for every season, it's not going to be the same for for every season as far as, you know, when I did the interview and then when you guys hear it. What you're going to hear first is obviously what I'm learning as I go along. And by the time I start releasing episodes, of course, I'm, I'm further along into my story than you guys are. You know, you asked the question, if I discovered something three months ago and I gave it to police, would I give you guys an update today? If there's a reason for me to update you guys, of course, the priority is what? What happened to Brittany? And for those who who followed me in my first season can remember this. There was a time where there was a week I was, I just interviewed a killer by the name of Bernard Howe. I was working on releasing that episode that week. In the middle of the week, we have a guy calling to confess to the murder. And so... That obviously that episode got shelved and the priority at that moment was providing up-to-date news and information to, to you guys as to what was happening with Nancy's case. So in this scenario, if we discover something, of course, I'm giving you know, my information to law enforcement. But if they break something, then that takes priority of whatever the, wherever the show is going to go. I think also it's, it's important to, to note that information that we obtain 
if it were to, you know, cause a break in the case or, or something similar, that information is often not immediately available to the public. So it wouldn't, it, it's likely that it wouldn't be something that we could speak about immediately anyway. So Andrew Hamilton asks, who supplied Ashley? Everyone talks about her selling a lot, but where did it all come from? And his second question is, was Chris Pontius interviewed? As for who supplied Ashley, um, I'm going to wait to answer that question. I've heard of individuals that she may have been buying from. And um, yeah, I'm going to save that one. And as far as was Chris Pontius interviewed? Yes, he was. And you guys are going to hear from him soon. Excellent questions. From Dustin Herring and Nicole Nauman, they asked similar questions. As best I can recall, we heard the voicemail from Leonard saying you won't like what happens next, but that person was only named by Jessica. Have you been able to verify who left that voicemail definitively? Not yet, but we're working on it. I can promise you that because one of the individuals that I was trying to make contact with who I was told was that individual from Ashley. He actually was in uh, a certain medical condition that just didn't make sense for us to try to attempt to talk. So, like I said, we're still going to attempt to speak to them. Also from Dustin Herring, has anyone asked Sheldon, Ashley, JJ, Jessica, JJ 2.0, or Glide to provide their Google location data to verify their whereabouts the day Brittany went missing? And second... Is corruption in local law enforcement preventing this case from being solved? Is it possible to involve federal law enforcement to audit their investigation? Uh, as far as Sheldon, Ashley, JJ, Jessica, and JJ 2.0, or Glide, the only person I know who's provided their information that was ready to share was Zach Kaner. Um, we're, this would be us assuming that maybe Sheldon, Ash, all the individuals had Google on their account or on their phone and also had uh, enabling GPR location services on their phone as well. I know Sheldon's phone was confiscated. Like he had said, he willingly handed it over and know that they uh, basically took a copy of his phone. Um, as far as Ashley goes, Ashley told me she turned her phone in and provided it to law enforcement. As far as Glide, JJ and JJ 2.0, I, I, I don't know that they've been asked to provide that information. Is, lo is corruption in local law enforcement preventing this case from being solved? No, I'm not saying, no, I'm not, I wouldn't even go there in saying that local there's corruption in local law enforcement. Of course, it's talked about often, but if you think that there's somebody who's trying to prevent this case from being solved, I think the, the, the real problem with what we're dealing with here is that this case became a mess and became a mess very quickly. The last part of Dustin's question, um, is it possible to involve federal law enforcement to audit their investigation? So state and local law enforcement agencies are not subordinate to the FBI. And the FBI doesn't supervise or take over investigations from local law enforcement agencies. Um, the resources that the FBI has and the resources of state and local agencies are often pulled together into one effort to more thoroughly attempt to investigate and uh, solve cases. The FBI, of course, has resources that local 
law enforcement agencies do not. However, the FBI uses applicable federal laws like the Hobbs Act to investigate violations by public officials in federal, state, or local uh, agencies. But something that's um, important to point out here is that most violations occur when an official solicits, accepts, receives, or agrees to receive something of value in return for their influence in the performance of an official act. So those categories of public corruption that are investigated by the FBI are, you know, legislative, judicial, regulatory, contractual, and law enforcement. So what this means is that um, they wouldn't necessarily audit a a local agency, um, and there would have to be some pretty clear police misconduct for um, another agency to investigate a local agency. And if there was police misconduct, if if we found police misconduct, if, um, you know, a citizen finds police misconduct, if somebody finds police misconduct, usually it's reported to um, the, the state's attorney's office. So I would say the answer to this is is probably a no. Um, next, we have a question or several questions from Jessica McElwain. Um, since there's a few here, I'll go, I'll go through them one by one. What are your thoughts about the police not doing a more thorough investigation on Brittany when she went missing? Did they not think that she was truly missing and possibly a runaway from the problems of the wreck and her warrant? Um, I think... You know, as far as them doing a, a thorough investigation, I look, it's easy for, for me to sit back and say they didn't do this. They didn't do that. And there is times that, yes, I will hold people's feet to the fire if I feel like that there was poor, poor work done. And more than anything, though, like did, like I said, guys, this case got messy really fast and we see law enforcement take action and we've gone through the interviews every date and when this individual came in and there's a lot of work done. And again, I think there's opportunity for that was left on the table for someone like myself to I, I'm working on one case every day for hour upon hour upon hour. When we're working on this, I better discover something is what I kind of set the bar for. You know, when I go into these things, like you should, for spending this much time on a case, you should have the most knowledge. They don't have the time that I have to spend on this one case. Did they think that she was truly missing or a runaway? I think it was on the table as to why she had left the way she did. You know, if Brittany would have known that her life was about to be taken, I don't think she would have left John's house. I think that the factoring of her warrant, not maybe having an active license at that time, the ticket, possibly drugs being in her possession, I think all those things factored into her decision-making at that moment and decided to roll the dice and leave John's house again. And I think that's fair. I honestly do. I think I don't think that they should treat the scene or the situation or response to anybody missing differently. I think there should be procedures and steps that they're taking every single time, regardless of the incident. But I think that that crossed their mind. And I think we've heard from even friends or even Sheldon that people thought she's going to show back up. 
and that she left. And the reason why, maybe because, again, she's leaving a scene that she's going to be in trouble for. And knowing she wrecked Sheldon's car, again, I think it crossed people's minds. But I can also tell you, when she's reported missing, steps were taken. Next, Jessica asks, do you think Jessica, referring to Brittany's mother, knows more than she is telling on the podcast? Jessica and I have had long conversations and we had, we had recorded stuff that I initially thought I was going to share. I chose not to for certain reasons. Jessica's been pretty transparent. That She's talked to me about stuff that she's not proud of and she's been open with me about things that she regrets. So do I think that there's a part of Jessica that naturally responds on what a lot of us do and, and is sometimes we don't tell the whole story <laughs> the way it actually happened, especially if you, you're in the wrong for whatever was going on. And I think that there is sometimes Jessica would sometimes sugarcoat the story with me. Not because I think she was trying to deceive or lie or manipulate the story when it had no relevance to actual the actual investigation. I think it's just sometimes that's our natural re- re- reaction response. I know that Jessica has talked about how she regrets the decisions that she's made and she wishes that she could change things. It's not my job to beat her over the head with every bad decision she made. The focus of what I'm doing here is to find out what happened to Brittany. Jessica and I, I know that there are people who think that I am trained Jessica and I am all for her and I am on her side. And look, I've asked Jessica some very uncomfortable questions and Jessica and I haven't always seen eye to eye. I think at the end of the day, Jessica always comes back to the fact of knowing that I'm just trying to find her daughter and I've been honest and real with her from day one. And I think that's probably what she respects and appreciates the most. So Jessica has told me a lot of things. It's not always going to make the show, I guess. I think to to tag on to what you said about, um, you know, people thinking that you're trained Jessica or team Jessica, whatever. I think there has been a misconception that there is a side here and there there really isn't a side this isn't about picking a side this is about Brittany this is about one person missing and possibly no longer with us the side that everybody should be picking here is Brittany's this isn't a team Jessica team Ashley issue it is a team Brittany issue so Jessica's next question What are your thoughts about Eric and not wanting to speak on the podcast to Sarah or James at all about Brittany? Maybe he feels guilty about something? If you're the mother of your child went missing, it doesn't have to be even your current wife or if you're separated wife or divorced wife, it doesn't matter. If the mother of your child went missing, why would you not want to support anybody's cause to finding out what happened to the mother of your child. Give you an example. Bill Moyer didn't have to talk to me, and that is Nancy's husband when she went missing. And Bill Moyer could have said, hey, you can help my daughter out, but I'm gonna step away. No, he chose to get behind his daughter and support her 10 years after the fact. And when and there were uncomfortable times where things seemed odd when I was doing my investigation that I had to ask questions to find out the answers to. And Bill stood there and took him and did it get uncomfortable? Yes, but he was he was doing it for his daughters. Like that's still the mother of your child. And and from what we know, still your friend. At the time she disappeared. 
you guys were supposedly trying to make things work. And the other thing that sticks out to me is, is when she went missing, everybody's told me you were active in searching for her and you were trying to figure out what happened to your wife. Why stop now? I don't understand it. I don't understand his actions. Um, I know there's going to be possibly even some pushback and say, well, what happens You know, if you're in that position? What are you going to do? It's easy for me to sit here and say, well, you'd be there for your wife. But look, it's one thing for someone to say, hey, man, I'm just, this just isn't for me. Like, I don't want to or whatever. But the way in which these guys haven't heard yet, the listeners haven't heard, which they will, the way he has responded doesn't make sense. I, I would agree. And I think, you know, especially what you said, you make a great point. If if he had said, hey, I understand what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. But, you know, this isn't a part of my life that I want to relive. This isn't something emotionally that I can handle right now, whatever it is. That kind of response, I and I feel like you could really have appreciated. Um but I think the response that we've gotten is what is concerning. Jessica's next question, will you be covering the speculations on Don Hill and his home burning down after Britt went missing in the area? Yes, I am. And you guys are going to hear more about my discovery once we get to that point in the season, which is coming soon. Jessica's next question, do you feel Ashley and Cage, also known as Daniel, are hiding more than they shared on the podcast about info on what happened to Britt? Honestly, yeah, I do with Ashley. As far as Cage uh, or Daniel, um, him and I have actually talked more than you guys have heard. Um, And I think I have a good understanding as to who Daniel is and, and his side of the story. Do I think some details get left out? Yeah, I've been told things like, did he tell you this or did he tell you that? I'm like, no. But at the end of the day, is it relevant once we put the pieces together? Not really. This guy was in Florida. I don't think he's he's making calls and calling shots from Florida about how he wants to get Brittany killed. Jessica's last question. Have you talked to Jeffrey K? Jeffrey K. I have not. We've talked on Facebook Messenger. And he's acknowledged, and we've discussed a couple of times of wanting to speak, and he's agreed to it. But anytime the time comes for him to speak with me, he never answers, or he never shows up. Uh, The next question is from a member of the discussion group. So to preface this question, I'm just going to say, please don't go real life. Don't attempt to contact or find this person. A member of the group brought up a question about an NPI number connected to a woman with a similar name who is a counselor from Pennsylvania. To explain, an NPI is a unique identification number for healthcare providers um, in this country. And uh, to to kind of clear this up so that, you know, we're not kind of pushing any false information or, you know, compromising the privacy of of people who have nothing to do with this. I spoke to two members who both have an abundance of experience in the healthcare field. And if Brittany were to seek an NPI number, she would need to go through a background check to do this. 
And since she had a felony warrant, she would have had to answer to that. And um, then she would have had to pay to have her record expunged to move forward. And of course, you know, answering to her warrant would have allowed us to find Brittany because she would have had to clear that warrant up with law enforcement. She she also would have needed to provide her social security number. And since she's registered as a missing person, the use of her social security number would have triggered an alert for law enforcement and they would have looked into that event. The person in Pennsylvania spells their middle name differently, which was something um, a member of our group uh, noticed quickly. Um, she spells her middle name with an without an H. And of course, Brittany Shank spells it with an H. And your legal name must be used when you're applying for an NPI. We know Brittany's legal name was no longer the last name of this person in Pennsylvania. Her last name, her legal last name was Shank at the time she disappeared because she was married to Eric. Um, furthermore, the, the NPI number that this member thought could have possibly belonged to Brittany was registered before Brittany disappeared. If I recall correctly, I believe it was registered in March of 2018. We can say with reasonable assurity that that is, it's not Brittany Shank. Uh, next up, we have a question from Adam DePold. How did Sarah and James meet and become hide and seek? And who is Carrie Gronk? <laughs> I had met Sarah going into my second season of Hide and Seek. I had started my first season for the Nancy case, Nancy Moyer case. And I was in the process of investigating my second season for Logan Schindelman. One day when I was traveling back from Lacey, Washington, I get a message from Sarah Joe, and she's talking about wanting to do a discussion group and basically what we've created, what you, what you created and what you've created before. And um, of course, I'm very hesitant about bringing anybody on my, you know, opening up my book, my, 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 you know, story too. So um, it wasn't like I, Sarah and I, cause we've never met in person, obviously, but I didn't just let you into everything from day one. It kind of took me some time to, no. to trust you and see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So we met in, in, in our second season, and I really kind of observed how you handled that group in the second season. I saw the things that you were saying, and I saw that you understood what I wanted this group to be and what I didn't want it to be. Yeah. And of course, like I'm learning, I started to learn stuff from you, and it wasn't until we ended my second season that I'd actually reached out to you and said, "What do you, you know, what were your thoughts about joining for the third season, but a more yeah. active role?" in the show and uh the rest is history from there yeah yeah that's pretty accurate so um i i actually met carrie um uh, working on another case several years ago and um we became quick friends i kind of put together a small crowd solve for a different case and i kind of did what james just spoke about doing with me. I kind of observed and watched and I really felt like Carrie was somebody I could trust. And she has, she has been there. She has backed me up. She has been not only an incredible um, investigator and she has 
impeccable attention to detail, but she has become a dear, dear friend. And um, she supports me, but she also now supports James like a pit bull. (laughs) So, yeah. That's how we met. So next we have a question from Paula McElwain. Who do you think has the most to lose when we find out what happened to Brittany Wallace? Um, I'll never forget when uh, Nancy's sister, Sharon, had sh- had said she, that this is kind of one of those real moments for me. Is she was like, "There's no justice, James. She's gone." Once that information and that news hits, there is no more hope. It's gone, and that's the, that's what the family will lose. Greg, Jessica, Vic, Maddie, Darian, Scott, Grandma, everybody, her friends, they will now all know the full truth and whatever that is, I think that's probably who loses the most on those days. Because I can I can promise you there's still, a, maybe it's one string that Greg still hopes up, that, that Greg, Emily, Jess, all the family, probably still hold on to and think maybe she's still out there so they lose the most i i completely agree i think the people in the end who are really losing the most are her family and friends and you know that like like you said you know there is that one strand of hope and once we find out what happened and there i don't i don't like to use the word closure because there is never closure like you said once there is some kind of resolution, the hope is gone and, and it is lost. And I think that's really, like you said, the, the most the people who are going to lose the most here. One other thing I wanted to add is just there's, there's obviously a lot of people who think, and I wouldn't say a lot. Let me rephrase that. I think I know that there are certain individuals who think that, you know, I'm doing this for X, Y, and Z. And they're all selfish reasons and excuses to you know why i'm doing this and when answering that question you say who has the most to lose i've had to call a family member a daughter and tell her her mom's mystery has now been solved and having that phone call that that was very very hard for me to to do because you were taking away all the hope now even though you probably you gave an answer and that's what we really want and they want the answer but i'll never forget that that's what motivates me is honestly is to provide answers for these loved ones so that they can move forward because you ask them all the same thing the, the same question you get the same answer and what's the worst thing about this and it is not knowing yeah yeah we have uh teresa horrocks have you identified the mystery man and do you believe that more than two people are involved in the disappearance of Brittany wallace have i identified him that's a tough question do I believe that there are two people involved? Yeah, I do. We've been working hard at this around the clock, every day. And like I had said in the beginning of this, we have a plan in place and we are organizing things. And we're, well, <laughs> I'm headed back to Sturgis this fall. Our last question is a voice message. Hi, James. It's Kathy from Ohio. Um, this season, there seems to be a lot of people that are willing to get involved in Brittany's case, um, willing to talk to you and explain, you know, how they were involved in her life and um, what they may know about the 
things going on in her life. One in particular being a person who I feel like has inserted herself into this investigation and has tried to possibly steer, try to steer the investigation away from herself and maybe her own involvement and guilt. I feel like um, a lot of the listeners feel this same way and I'm just curious as to if you believe that her involvement is a lot deeper than she has ever claimed it to be and if she is someone that we can scratch off the suspect list or if you think we should just leave her up there at number one. Thanks. Well, Kathy, I, you guys are going to hear more about my conversation and my relationship with Ashley. You guys are going to know the full story here very, very soon. And do I suggest you remove her from your suspect board or, you know, as, as, as you put it, number one, I think Ashley is somebody who is somebody I'm still looking into along with many other people. I'm just heading in the direction where there's smoke. Like you guys are kind of coming to your own observation as well, that some things just don't add up. Take it for what you want. When I look at her actions and I think who needs to fake cry or who needs the passwords and why do you need to get into her account and then print it off and then get out. I mean, there's just so many things where I'm just like, that just doesn't seem to, to fit. Am I sitting here going to accuse her of being the person who's responsible for Brittany's disappearance and her death? No. I'm going to keep looking, though. Because, like I said, when it, when it doesn't fit, I'm not going to force it to fit. Ashley's actions, just they're too suspicious for me. She's right where she needs to be, and that's on the table with other individuals who I'm looking into. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hide and Seek. If you'd like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community, come interact with us. Share your thoughts, opinions, and theories in the Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. The Hide and Seek Podcast is hosted, produced, audio engineered, and directed by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Director of Photography and Editing is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson. <laughs>